You're listening to Drinking on the Job, D-O-T-J. I'm your host, John Coyle. Drinking on the Job is a toast to the culture of food, wine, and all things fermented. We'll be talking with winemakers, musicians, artists, late-night bartenders, scoundrels, and more. It's time to grab a glass before its last call. This episode, I'm with Stephen Hall, owner of Hall PR Company. He's going to give us the lowdown on some of the most interesting places to eat in New York City. Very happy to be sitting here with Stephen Hall, Hall PR. That's correct. Um, and anyone who listens to show, show, shows know that I usually drink wine in the middle of it, but I think we're going to start with a glass of wine. It's Monday, and I don't always record on Monday, and it feels like a long Monday already. And it's a little hot outside for the first time, yeah, so that like, calls yeah. for something yeah. that we're having, which yeah. is very bubbly and a little fruity and uh, mm-hmm. sparkling. You okay, know? well... I- I, I, will, I will always say that I match the wine to the person I'm with, so uh, that's a good... Are you calling fr- me bubbly and fruity? Is that the idea? <laughs> you, you sparkle? I, I've been called worse. You, you sparkle? <laughs> At uh, times. You're bubbly. I glisten. You're I glisten. Yeah, you glisten. <laughs> uh, and this is one of my favorite producers. There's a Durla Curday in the Alsace. He's organic. This guy still plows his vineyards with horses. Um, but this is as good as any champagne. And Cremont, uh, for people listening, is the alternative champagne that's affordable but still really brilliant. So... 100% Pinot Noir, Stephen, to you. To you. Thank you very right. much for having me. Yeah, you're Cheers. Welcome. Good to see Delicious. you. Delicious. So I'm going to talk about some of your clients to start, and then we'll start filling it in. But you're, okay. you've been in business for 15 years. 15? Uh-uh. Yeah. More? 20? 1996. Oh, wow. uh, what does that make us? 23? Wow, 23. Yeah, 23 yeah. years. Holy shit, that's a long Yes, time. as I tell everybody, the Mount Rushmore of hospitality PR, my face is like carved <laughs> onto the side of the mountain. With <laughs> just it. a few others, yeah. mostly other women, you know. Yeah, with... <laughs> With a drink in hand. Correct. Well, you know, uh, but it's, you, it's, it's Felidia, it's District, it's Corn Knives, which I love. It's it's one of yeah. the best knife stores in the city. It's this yes. hand-carved Japanese masterful knives. Yeah, yeah. it's more than knives. They, it's they, everything that is needed to, um, to create a Japanese kitchen in either your home or in a restaurant. Everything from sake cups and sake um, uh, carafes to little hibachis. Um, so it's really a, a wide variety. I'll tell you the cool corn trick they played on me because it's around the corner from my yeah, office yeah. I went in and uh, I was looking at wine glasses to host an event uh-huh. and the guy said here I'll give you a glass and he hands me this really delicate looking glass and he drops it before my hand can get to it yeah. and it bounces and he looks at me and goes it doesn't break well, you know, I have to tell you the truth. I broke one in my dishwasher. <laughs> that glass, the breakable? The stem. Oh, wow. The stem in the dishwasher broke, but I never told Sowery, you know. That, you know. And um, it was funny because when she first got those glasses in, we, we shameless plug, we, we had them in the New York Times. When she first got the glasses in, she was showing them to all these chefs, and they were like, oh, my God, this is great. And Tom Caligio was like banging it on the Yeah, they bang it on know, the counter. Bang it on the counter. And it's like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And then when I broke it in the dishwasher, I was like, what kind of dishwasher do I have? You know, it's a home dishwasher it's not like an industrial one that these chefs have but uh, the yeah, model. This st- exactly uh, the yeah. stem broke but uh, but, but yeah they're great glasses it's a cool store they have yeah. an upstairs space that you can actually kind of rent out to which is awesome you so, can they do a lot of tastings mm-hmm. and um, knives they do a great knife sharpening class for people yeah. who want to learn how to sharpen knives it's really really interesting if you want to get somebody an incredible gift who cooks 
Uh, you can get knives engraved over there, and uh, they're, they're just works of art. And yeah. they're not crazy expensive for no, what they're No, they're not. I mean, considering that these knives last forever. Right. Actually, I'm going to get them they, as a sponsor. They, I just decided. <laughs> I think that's yeah. a really good yeah. idea. Um, they are really, and I'm on the board of the Gohan Society, which is a society that promotes understanding of Japanese culture to Americans, and we do a lot of chef exchange work. Oh. So that's a, so Saori son, who's created the Gohan Society, is the owner of Corin, and she very graciously asked me if I would be on the board because I do have a strong affinity towards a lot of Japanese brands and a lot of Japanese restaurants. And you represent a lot of Japanese restaurants. I do restaurants. represent a lot of Japanese restaurants, which is, uh, I must have been Japanese in a former life, I guess. It's I don't really culture. know what happened, but something about it spoke to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I was brought there by a client that was going to be hiring me to do his restaurant, who wasn't even Japanese, actually, who was Venezuelan. And mm-hmm. he had lived in Japan for 15 years prior to coming to New York. And this is going back to like 2006, I guess. Mm-hmm. And he was the first person to take me to Tokyo, and I tell everybody the same thing. He picked me up at the airport. Narita's like, and you know, makes JFK look like a walk on the, you know, around the mm-hmm. corner. Mm-hmm. So Narita's far from Tokyo, wow. and he picked me up at the airport. You know, you can't really smoke pot or do anything in Japan, but everybody kind of does. Uh, it's the only place where you can leave like weed on the subway, and it will still be waiting for you if you leave it there the next day when wow. you get on the same subway because nobody takes anything because you know there's no theft. Anyway, so we get stoned on our way from Narita into Tokyo. He mm-hmm. takes me to an Irish bar that's filled with expats where they're playing Hawaiian music. And I'm like, where the fuck the am fuck? I? That's like, you're you know, high as shit listening to Hawaiian exactly. music in an Irish bar. I'm okay. in like topsy-turvy land. Right. And then, you know, I get a, I go to the, my hotel and then I get up the next day and I say to the concierge, where's the subway? She goes that way. And I said, and that's it. I never I never looked back like huh. a spider. You know, I never looked back. Wow. And, um, and it really was a magical moment in my life. You I, know, I it's see, yeah, business. Business-wise and and personal-wise. Uh, so we're going to save this for later. Your your favorite haunts, but like, so you obviously love sushi. What's your favorite sushi place in New York? Um, right there's now, I'm going many, a lot. Like, there's too many, but right now I'm going to Hasaki a lot, which is on Ninth Street, which is owned by Yagi-san, who owns all those restaurants on Ninth Street. Could have created Little Tokyo, and it's okay. been around since 1986, I okay. think. And it's just a perfect sushi restaurant. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not all bells and whistles and I've represented all of them from $300 to $400 omakases and they're amazing but you know you can't What's do it every day. What's the omakase cost there the tasting? Oh it's nothing it's like $75 oh, or something it's, it's really and it's it's right on 9th Street in St. Mark you know right by St. Mark's okay. you know where all those restaurants are and it's just a lovely lovely unassuming spot that's been there forever. Have you been to Sushi Ginza yet? I represented Ginza Onodera. Sushi Ginza Onodera when they first came to uh, New York, yes. And I was blessed to eat there a number of times Mm -hmm. because doing what I do, the one perk is that I get to eat Mm. for free. And I get to bring journalists with me to eat for free. Or, or a podcast um, guy now. Or a podcast guy yeah. or an yeah. old friend yeah. from uh, from years ago. Right. So, uh, and, uh, and you know, it, it was very interesting because sushi's like jazz. Mm-hmm. This is, I'm a big jazz guy and sushi's mm-hmm. like jazz. And when people say, why is this sushi worth $400? You kind of have to go through the sushi that isn't $400 first mm-hmm. to get to that level to understand it. Yeah. And just like in music, your ear has to be trained to appreciate some of the jazz or symphonies that sure. are just dissonant and, and kind of Particularly the unmelodic in a lot yeah. of ways. Sure. And you kind of have to grow to it. But until your ear is trained for it, you're never going to appreciate it in the way that you would. And sushi's the same way because because it's a very subtle but specific art form. It's it's a nuance. Uh, sushi Ginza 
uh, blew me away. I had lunch there a couple uh, a couple lunch, of weeks ago. Lunch is a great deal. And yeah, I think it was one it's like a hundred bucks or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, they brought pictures of the fish over. Yeah, yes, uh, yes. They have a little iPad. And they're they're in kimonos. Yes. And long thirty foot bar. And I think I was the only American guy sitting there. Everyone yeah. else was Asian. And More than the, likely, yeah. And it was the closest thing. Uh, I, always, I use sushi as my moan of zen if I'm stressed out. I go someplace, I sit at the bar by myself, like you do a lot of times. And I don't say a word to anybody, and I just enjoy this amazing fish. And that place blew me away. Yeah, well, it definitely is the top. I've also uh, you know, represented Sushi Nas, which is also quite extravagant and, and lovely at that level as well. It's up on 78th between 3rd and Lex and, and Nas is amazing mm-hmm. and it's a palace of sushi. You know, the, Everything about the restaurant was designed from a temple and it's got the architecture where there's not a piece of metal in sight. Everything is just interlocking wood and it really is a transporting experience mm-hmm. and that is the thing that you get, a transporting okay. experience and you know, it, it's funny because Japan that sushi on the four or five sushi you know like we have Italian restaurants right. there there's sushi sushi mm-hmm. everywhere so when I, and, and all the restaurants and when I've done stuff in Japan and I go and I tell them that a bowl of ramen in New York City is $25 they go like because eh? <laughs> <laughs> there it's like eight ninety nine. Yep. you know yeah, you buy sure. it out of, you get it out of a vending machine and you give the, I'm dying for the person who's going to bring the vending machine you right. know sushi to New York vending machine. I have to tell you, you know? but fish is being overfished Fish is being uh, I read an amazing. Uh, there are labs in San Francisco and California right now who are basically biopsying fish mm. cells mm. and then uh, feeding them in not a petri dish, but um, kind of like I guess the way they feed mussels on these chains of, mm. of, of seaweed, and they are propagating uh, fish. Uh, you wouldn't say it's a, a GMO, but because it's from real fish cells. Sure. So this way they can do two things: they can get away from the mercury, uh-huh. uh, the lead, and all the toxic stuff that. Uh, sushi and fish is, is giving us now and the depletion rate um, it's going to be an, uh, the next billion dollar yeah. because everyone loves sushi oh, well people love sushi love sushi Yes, it's, they're devotees for sure. We we represent a restaurant called Wakuni, which is on Lexington and 39th Street, and they have the Miss Amazing Sashimi, and they have a, a fish farm in Nagasaka in Japan, and they fly in their fish, and or their their, their tuna is all farm raised, and it, it it is you know it is there's a difference in the taste, which is really interesting because mm-hmm. people are like advocates of wild seafood, the mm-hmm. wild fish, and how it tastes, wild salmon, and right. everything. But the fact is that the oceans are being depleted. Yes because right. there's too much overfishing going on. So it's definitely something to think about. Yeah, so these high-tech companies in California are figuring it out. And, yeah, and, well. and the beta testing is, is like, really positive. So The impossible sushi. The impossible sushi, <laughs> exactly. The impossible yeah. dream. Yeah. This is where we're going, isn't it? Uh, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of people aren't eating octopus now because they feel like, you know, as, a, as one person said to me, if they're so smart, they have eight legs, they can't outrun the fishermen. And he's just like, okay, but that's a bad joke. Yeah. However, but a lot of people aren't eating octopus now because they feel guilty that they're so smart. But pigs are smart, and that doesn't stop anybody from eating them. Oddly <laughs> enough, I had this conversation with the uh, executive producer, Ross uh, Minichello, on the show. And, we hit, and he said he feels bad about eating uh, pork. And I don't really eat pork, but if I'm in Spain, I'll eat the pata negra. Right. Uh, and uh, he's like, yeah, they're just sentient. They're so smart. I'm like, so what do you do? Go up to the counter and go, you got any pigs that are retarded? Any re- <laughs> Give me the stupidest pig you got. Right, I want exactly. that one. And I just slaughter him and salt. Right. Yeah, it's just, uh, well, you know, he didn't move around so much, so uh, maybe there's a lot of fat, they, which makes it a good flavor. They, they, <laughs> 
so, but you've you've worked with David Boulay, yeah. uh, Pinch Chinese, which is actually one of my favorite dumpling places mm. in New York as well. Uh, speaking of like I'm little so gems, yeah, I love Pinch. Yeah. I really do. And they have some ridiculous deal. It's on Prince Street. I th- like on a Monday night or something. There's like a flight of wine. Oh yeah, Tuesday and dumplings. Tuesday wine Tuesday yeah. for like twenty five bucks. Twenty five bucks. Well, Miguel's amazing. He's uh, he's quite a knowledgeable and um, and and uh, kind of unique psalm that we have there mm-hmm. who is very dedicated to little finds. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always funny because whenever I go to a restaurant and I just did it with a friend of mine the other day and she was, because we had, we went and we sat at the bar of a restaurant that I can easily name because I go there all the time. It's Marseille because we were in the theater mm-hmm. and they have an amazing wine list and Avi is a, a fantastic psalm. Right. And I and she was like, we, she said, what are we going to have? What are we going to have? I flipped, I flipped, I flipped. There was one Portuguese wine. I said, we're having that. Yeah. That's what we're having. So she was like, why that? And I said, because first of all, look at the value of the price compared to the other wines. It was $48 as compared to the other wines that were from France or from the U.S. that were, you know, and, and yeah. all of a sudden more expensive. And we were just hanging at the bar, you know, after a show. And I said, if there's one wine on the list from Portugal, that's the one that the Somme wants you to drink. So that's, that's the one true, that That's true because they, they're investing in it um, emotionally and uh, realizing that people aren't going to get their head around it. Uh, and, and you should buy it. Yeah. The, um, um, had this uh, Portuguese uh, winemaker on a couple episodes ago, mm-hmm. and we were talking about like that's exactly where they are. They people need to discover Portugal. They are yep. the wines to to, to be drinking. And uh, going back to your jazz conversation and sushi, wine is kind of the same way. Um, I could open up a, a bottle of wine that's a four hundred dollar bottle of wine and put it in for someone who doesn't really drink wine, and they won't get the the dissonant jazz moment. They sure. won't get the the subtle the nuance. It's like putting a six year old kid. In a Ferrari, right? You're really going to understand the the, you know, the torque rate, and right. the, I mean, you're not. So um, it's it's a it's a similar thing. So um, you've worked Definitely. with all these great uh, restaurants, and sure. um, and your your basic goal period is a client hires you, and you get them the maximum PR exposure that you can possibly get for them. True, right? That's the goal. And and so, how do you do that? Um, begging and pleading. Okay. But, but, but first, are, are there people you say, there's no way I can work with you? Um, sometimes. Right. Sometimes. I mean, sometimes the press is better than the story. And if the public doesn't re- isn't really a- attached or attracted to the story, even if it's come out in the paper, they still don't go to the restaurant. And I always tell everybody the same thing. You know, my work brings people into a restaurant once. When they're in the seat, they're yours. And if they don't come back, don't come crying on my shoulder. Because I did my job. I got them into the restaurant once. Then, you know, it's a very circular kind of, you know, experience. We remind and we renew. But to me, every guest is a new guest. Sure. Because every guest is reading something different and getting it from a different publication. And how the restaurant reacts to them is what's going to turn that person into a regular customer. Mm -hmm. And I think that it is. So what we do is we take all of the different aspects that a client has and we try and sort of divide and conquer so not everybody is going to write about the food. Not everybody is going to write about the wine list. Not everybody is going to write about the location. Mm. But this segment of the population of media is going to write about that. And this segment is going to write mm. about the other things. So we try and find the interesting stories in each. Right. But ultimately, there's got to be a story. If there's no story, it's just another restaurant. Mm-hmm. And that's not press worthy. Yeah. It's yeah. nothing wrong with it. It's just not press worthy. New York doesn't stop. Uh, I'm amazed at the amount of restaurants that opening uh, that open, and I mean, unfortunately now they have to be big money 
You yeah. don't see a lot of the mom and pops anymore. They're, no. they're in Brooklyn and Sunnyside, Queens and sure. Astoria. And yeah. those are, they're great restaurants. But um, what's the last small, like the little engine that could restaurant that you represent? And you're like, oh, man, I want them to make it because they're so goddamn good. Well, it actually <laughs> happened for me recently with my restaurants, Rahi and Ada in Long Island City, okay. Ada Indian Canteen, because when we, Rahi opened, it's a, it's a kind of an interesting, long-evolved story, and it's about Indian cuisine. And when we opened up Rahi, which is on Greenwich and Perry Streets, um, it, it had come on, it had opened up in a, in, after a, a restaurant that had unfortunately failed with a relatively well-known personality behind the restaurant. I don't know that I can say a chef, mm-hmm. but a, a well-known food personality who, yes, had, was a chef. And the restaurant failed. And the, the reason the restaurant failed was because people just didn't understand what it was that the chef was doing. Mm-hmm. And the food was good, but they just didn't get it. So it became a Friday and Saturday night kind of restaurant, and then they had no business during the week, and obviously you can't pay your bills that way. So after that restaurant closed, the owner, you know, developed the, a new restaurant with a different chef, and it was and it, it is called Rahi, and the whole idea was an artisanal Indian restaurant. So it was about Indian recipes, recipes that you know go throughout the different um, regions of India, but also done in a New York way, and it was delicious, mm. you know, delicious food. But people at first didn't really get it. Like, they love Indian restaurants like Janoon, which is an incredibly successful, popular Michelin-starred restaurant, but also, you know, a a restaurant that has the dishes on it that people understand and that people know. And then there was Indian Accent, which presented that same food in a glorified way. Mm -hmm. But it was still something that people understood. How about Floyd uh, Cardoza's place down in Soho? Well, I don't represent him, and Mm -hmm. and obviously I've been in, Mm -hmm. um, and I think Floyd's... You know, an amazing chef, and he's definitely been one of the people to put Indian food on the map, mm-hmm. um, especially in New York, in a very sophisticated way with Tabla. And Tabla was, you know, sure. a brilliant restaurant that had the upstairs and the downstairs, so you could have either experience. I love the bread. You bowl. know, yeah. So that's what he he did. He modeled right. this. You know, it mm-hmm. uh, was smart for him to model mm-hmm. it after the bread bar. But you know, times have changed. And people have, you know, discovered more about food. So when we opened up Rahi, it took a while for people to kind of understand what we were doing. But when we opened up Ada, which was in Long Island City, in a small hole-in-the-wall place across the street from LaGuardia Community College, you have to take the 7 train to 33rd Street, Rawson Avenue, walk under the overpass, (laughs) you know, dodge the traffic that's Uh, all coming at you from so uh, many different sides— and when you're in there, we said it, we called it unapologetic Indian cuisine. Mm-hmm. And it was. And it, like that. Right. It caught on. The minute the first piece of press hit, it just spread like wildfire. And, you know, we've been very fortunate to be nominated, um, not the f- uh, final nomination, but on the short list for Best New Restaurant at the James Beard oh, Awards. Cool. Mm-hmm. And there's some exciting things happening to it, which people will find out tomorrow. Unfortunately, I can't say it now, mm-hmm. but to, as of tomorrow, <laughs> people will know. This, this will come out and next week. This will week. come out next, next week. So. This show will come out next week. <laughs> okay, so. so people will know okay, right. by next week. Okay. Um, so the so it's been it, it's really been interesting to watch the public take to that restaurant 
which was gutsy and serves everything from the most amazing simmered chicken livers to goat brains. Hmm. Whereas when it was the modern Indian restaurant of Rahi, they didn't really know what to make of it. And one very wise person said to me, that's because there's no, we're going back to the same conversation, this obviously is going to be our theme for the night, right. going back for the jet to the jazz world, yeah. there's no progression. Right. In Indian, so you can't present something that's so uniquely modern if people haven't had the classics, the, right, and the way to grow to it. And I look at Japanese food, and I look at Chinese food, and I look at Korean. I mean, look at what's the amazing things happening with Korean cuisine right now. It is unbelievable, and how people really got into Korean barbecue, and now they're able to accept it in a more sophisticated, you know, and maybe that's a bad word, but in a more upscale package. Have you been to Attaboy? Yeah, it's great. That's the one I want to go to next. It's great. It's great. So, so I think, so so yes, so when you talk about the hole in the wall, here we are in, you know, Long Island City on an unmarked street, and I think that people love that. Like, they kind of love the journey. The hunt. Yeah. Yeah. They love it, especially in New York, you know. They love to know that they were there. They, you know, and before the, anybody else. Yeah. Uh, and the harder to find, maybe it's better because it's like this is, you know, exactly. it's, it makes it more uh, unique. But it's happening all across the country, which I think is really exciting. Um, restaurant that you're still proud of, that you're still repping all these years later? That's still open? Um, restaurant of Carmine's. <laughs> Okay, yeah. Carmen. Sure. Yeah. I mean, they have been my longest client. I have been representing them for almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's just a standard product that consistently delivers. I always say there's closet foodies that whenever their families are in town, they call me up and they're like, can you get me a reservation at Carmine's? You know, because <laughs> nobody can get in because it's so busy. Yeah. But they don't want to, you know, they they, wanna, they'll never write about it, yeah. but they'll always go there. Yeah. So I, they're Carmine's. Not, they're not whispering when they're asking you to get you a reservation at Carbone no, or exactly. Del Posto exactly. or Morea. Exactly, exactly. Um, but I'm proud of, you know, it's interesting because you mentioned Felidia at the beginning and we just were hired by them and I find it, and, and, and I'm glad that I have the reputation of somebody who would take on a restaurant that's 40 years old mm-hmm. because a lot of PR people in all honesty won't because right. there's no new story. Mm-hmm. So you got to find the story and then you got to find the writer who's going to tell it and that takes a little bit more work than the opening, you sure. know, a monkey could, a monkey could do opening press for a restaurant. Quite yeah. frankly, you know, everybody wants to write about what's new. What's new, right? Sure. Doesn't mean, matter. It could be a fucking Nedix. Yeah, we're talking it, about still talking Nedix. About... Are they still Nedix? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're talking about Eater. That's why. Why is Eater successful? Because everyone clicks on because they want to yes. know the newest place, the top ten restaurant. The, what do they call it? The uh, the top thirty eight. Top thirty eight. They do and a great the hot job. Zones of like we. I mean, it's a great thing to click on, but it's it's all about the now. It's not about yeah. like you know where I love to go still. One of my favorite places, Raul's. Oh yeah. Well, I did. I, w- I did there. I think it was their fortieth anniversary party a few years ago. They hired me to do that. And David Honeyset, who is this guy that I've known forever and ever, has been the chef there for like a dozen years. Mm-hmm. And it's just so nice to see people that you you know. I've been in the business a long time. You and I go back a long sure. way. Yeah. Should we talk about that? Yeah. We were waiters <laughs> together back yeah. in 1987 or wow. 88, right? Thirty years ago. So, but what's so interesting is that that little restaurant, Arizona 206, taught me a lot about restaurants. Mm-hmm. And when I still see people now who either remember it or worked there or did something there and it was kind of like you know there's magical moments there's, so uh, was. and he was one of those guys yeah. David Honeyset because hospitality is in our bones um, is still in the wine business as well um, there are little things that really piss me off when I go to restaurants and, mm-hmm. and it's just 
and other people wouldn't even notice. But like leaving a restaurant and nobody says goodbye, nobody looks at you. Right, right, right. Uh, you've been there ten times and n- nobody even recognizes that you've been there ten times. Uh, you spend a lot of money to New York City. Um, just subtlety that um, I get. I think it's missed. And it, uh, it is. Well, you know, hospitality has definitely changed. Mm-hmm. You know, I, people used to blame it on Brooklyn. They used to say, oh, it's the Brooklyn effect that you, you know, that I used to say that how much more reclaimed wood can we have? <laughs> there won't be any more reclaim, wood to reclaim. So, you know, Brooklyn, they, you know, when, when all these restaurants are, the, and, and they were like too cool for school kind of thing. And it right. was just like, oh, you should be grateful that you're just sitting in that tiny little corner. It was like yeah. very Portlandia kind of oh. thing, you know. So here's something um, interesting, which I've heard of and I've, I have felt. Do you get ageism at restaurants? Oh, well, I don't know. I don't know. Well, you're Stephen yeah. Hall, <laughs> so you don't get it as much. And I, I know a lot of people, too. Yeah. But occasionally you'll walk into that restaurant. Only at Indochine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> In the machine, it's still around and still, still the '80s. Oh my God! <laughs> if if anyone needs a time capsule, if you were in New York ever during the '80s, go into Indochine. It's got the same palm trees, the same murals, the, the same, same big, tall girls. Yeah, I just it's and the best people watching. I know it's everyone from hipsters to like uh, Russian hookers and in, in fur coats. Oh, with it's like hilarious! Old men. It's, uh, it's great. It's, it's unbelievable. It. Yeah. It's like and they just look over everybody. Yeah. I'm like, where do they? I mean, I know they're all models, right? right? They're all people who were models, but it's it's just hilarious because everything about that restaurant has stayed, has stayed the same. Yeah. So yes, that's the only place that I really feel old. I guess I feel old in places when it's when it's so, so, so loud. Much, I'm not talking <laughs> about um, yeah. The noise is deafening most yeah, of the yeah, place. Yeah. I'm not talking about even the that. Um, you walk in and they're like they don't look at you because they want the 30 year old kid behind you with the hipster waxed mustache, and they're like, yeah, let's give this person a table first. And Hmm. I, I've I've definitely felt it. I've heard other people say it. Really? So it's like, oh yeah, I've heard a, yeah, I've heard a, I've heard people say that. I did, you know, they look know. through you a little bit. Yeah, You're yeah, like, yeah. Hey, um, hey, fuck face. Yeah, I have yeah, an yeah. expense account, or I'm spending money here. <laughs> okay, that's I made your job <laughs> exactly. You know, um, I had your job. Uh, yeah, a long time ago. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, uh, tell me, um, tell me the biggest shit show you walk into. The I always think the shit show. show. Like oh. I think the relaunch. You know that bar rescue program? Yes, yes, of course. I'm sure you like have the bat phone and somebody calls and goes, Stephen, the restaurant's dying. Can you help oh, us? Oh yeah, a lot of the time. Right. Yeah. So like what what is that like? What's the worst shit show you walked into? Oh, uh, as far as a restaurant goes? Oh, yeah. Uh, let's see. A restaurant called um it was over on Tenth Avenue in twenty thirteen. They'd taken the Moran space. What the hell did he call it? God, I got mean, it. This is oh. the moment that I can't even remember the, the old the name. old Irish pub Moran's? The old Irish pub Moran's. Oh. And he called it'll come back to me what he called it. But it was so misconceived. Everything about it was misconceived. And the chef had a vision. First of all, he bit off more than he could chew. He was the chef owner. He bit off so much more than he could chew. And there was a vision that he had that just wasn't being translated onto the plate. Mm-hmm. You know, people weren't getting the message and they weren't getting the story. So that was that was a big shit show. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's closed now, so it doesn't really, you know, it, does, it doesn't help it to bring up the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mean, I've... I've I, you know, I had a business partner for a very long time, and and he used to, he and I used to sort of say, if we came back from a meeting saying, "Oh my God, they're the nicest people," don't take the client, right? Because the nicest people turn into the worst clients hmm. um, in a lot of cases. Because because it's, it's the pressure, it's yeah, the pressure, it's the pressure. and you know, everybody everybody has the intention to do the right thing, and then sometimes they just don't do the right thing. 
And I mean, I have seen, I represented one CPS, which was with Alan Stillman, an amazing restaurateur. Mm -hmm. And I walked in the door of the restaurant and it was, this is a thousand years ago. And I walked in the door of the restaurant and I was like, why'd you build the host stand where the people, where the hostess has to stand with her back to the guest when they're walking in the door? I mean, there are certain things that even the most experienced person just misses. No, it kills me. My personal pet peeve, go to a bar, sit at a bar stool, and I have nowhere to put my feet. Mm. My feet dangle. If there's not a bar, like a, a pole to rest my feet on so right. I'm comfortable while having a beverage, I leave. Now, I know this, but there's lots of people who they don't realize it, but unconsciously, they're like, I'm not comfortable. I'm going to leave here. And right. I can name the bars. Like, I won't go there because it's not comfortable to sit and have a drink. Somebody missed something huge. Uh, when they were designing it and yeah, nobody yeah. ever picked up on it but like that's silly well that is the one place where, where I will say I feel uh, I do get a, I guess a sense of ageism is at a bar more than more than at a restaurant is at a bar you know and getting noticed but I'm not a very tall person so I've never had luck like getting the bartender's attention yeah um, but that is the one place that you know I don't go to bars that often anymore but that is the one place that I do feel like you get, unless you go to like Brandy Library or something. Where you have to sit <laughs> right. With this guy playing the piano yeah. and tingling. The... I love an old piano yeah. bar. Yeah. <laughs> Sing me a show tune. I'm your best friend, baby. Can you play Melancholy Baby one more time? Actually, really funny. We went to uh, Sign of the Dove around Christmas. Not Sign of the Dove. Uh, Sign of the Dove. I'm oh, sorry. That's a total like, wow. holy shit. That's a fucking... <laughs> <laughs> Jet backwards. Uh, what's the place down on Barrow? One if by land, two if by, by sea. sea. Piano bar. Yeah. And this is, talk about changing times. I'm with a buddy of mine who's a, a huge jazz aficionado. And he says, I'm going to go ask this guy to play something. I'm sure he's not going to know it. And it's some young guy playing the piano. And it's beautiful. You know, it's like, it's so decked out. It's yeah, cheesy yeah. over the top, but it's really beautiful. And he asked the guy, do you know this song? And he goes, no, give me a second. He pulls up his phone. He Googles it. And he's looking at it. And he reads the music. And he starts playing it. Was, In three seconds, he had this obscure piece of music that he was playing for my friend. He goes, nah. That's, that's technology. Te- that's technology that serves. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, that's good. Uh, I represented them too, actually. Went by land two of by sea for a little while because they had had a great chef in there, Craig Hobson, who I think moved to the West Coast. Um, but I love when I get, you know, when I reopened Tavern on the Green and I, hmm. we, you know, we did that. I love, you know, as a New Yorker, you know, I'm born in Flushing sure. and I've been, you know, in New York for my entire life. And as a New Yorker, when I'm, when I get those moments, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like, oh, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm, I'm kind of honored to do it. But it's really nice when they, you know, put their trust in you. That's the thing that makes my job very, very rewarding and mm-hmm. also sometimes very hard is that, you know, whether they, I don't, it doesn't matter what they pay. It's still money that they're paying because they trust you that you're going to go out there and tell their story. Yeah. And because of that, people are going to come in the door. Sure. You are and, the apostle you know, for them. Yeah. And, right. that's what you, and, and that's what you really want. And that's the part that is so satisfying. Mm. And some pieces of press take a year to come out because of you know publication lead times and whatever it may be other press comes out in five minutes mm-hmm. you know but nonetheless my favorite I used to have favorite moments used to say I loved it when we were on Daily Candy remember Daily Candy sure. yeah. okay so now there's a lot of other websites there's no right. Daily Candy anymore <clears throat> but I used to love when we were on Daily Candy and I used to sit there and I used to say it was like watching an episode of Sex and the City mm-hmm. you know you just sat there and you watched all the girls in like little black skirts come into the restaurants <laughs> and eat a scallop between them right. you know yeah. and, then, and then I would love it 
it when we were reviewed in the New York Times and you would watch whoom, you know, yeah. like this massive amounts of people come in and you just go, oh my God, I hope it goes well. That, that's the endorphin you know? rush for you. Right? Yeah, that it's is. It's like, like it's the producer kind of thing, sitting in the back and watching it all come together. Well, I've seen you at restaurants that have opened and very much like opening night, you're at the front door. Oh yeah, all the time. Uh, I know you're shaking hands and like saying yeah. hello and um, it, that's a that's a pretty cool feeling when that takes off. Yeah, I, I love I love to do it. Actually, mm-hmm. it's very it's fun. If you could do PR for one restaurant right now that you'd love to help because you love them and you think, man, I would just like to bring them to the next level. Is there somebody there? Um, I, I'm only thinking mm. that because the Tavern on the Green thing is such an iconic restaurant. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't think it hit. I don't think it hit the um, the note that everybody wanted it to hit. Yeah, it's still no, and, deep, so. Yeah, exactly. And it's very hard to get New Yorkers to kind of change their habits and mm-hmm. to kind of like walk into a you know walk into a, a restaurant that is deemed a tourist restaurant. You know, I remember when you didn't go to a hotel restaurant because Ever. it was like sure. you know, oh my God, no, you know, right. hotel restaurants were off you know the radar and they sure. were terrible. And then you know, Les Penas opens thousands of years ago with Great Coons, and all of a sudden it's okay to right. go to a hotel restaurant. So I think you know, you you know, yeah, exactly. I mean, you have a lot of great restaurants Mm -hmm. and hotels, you Mm -hmm. know, and 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 truth truth be told, it's a great business model for a restaurant owner because they have a built-in clientele because of the people that stay in the hotel, and it's become a perk for the hotelier to say, oh no, I have a restaurant with, you know, David Burke, or I have a restaurant with, you know, this, you know, Mark Murphy, or I have a restaurant Mm -hmm. with a chef of note in the. It makes people stay in the hotel. Mm Nobu. What? Um, Nobu. <laughs> Nobu. So would you like to do Nobu? Yeah, that, totally. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was just at Nobu downtown. Yeah. Uh, the, the, How was the, it? The remake. Um, it was good. It yeah. was good. I, it's a, they have a downstairs dining room that uh-huh. is really dark, and I went in the afternoon. Uh, it, it was good, but I think um, it's one of those restaurants that are resting on their laurels a little bit. Sure. I, particularly, we were just talking about sushi. Um if you had the choice between going to Nagazawa, the bar on the side, or right. if you had a choice of going to Sushi Ginza or even Sushi Agari, I mean, I think there's a quality difference, and uh, it's a different mindset. It's you're you're, you're pitching. Uh, the concept of Nobu is, is more of a concept more than it's like about really the food. It's a it's yeah. an idea. Uh, it's where Wall Streeters go to have their sushi, and, and it shouldn't be. And that's yeah. and this is the interesting mm-hmm. thing is because I represent Sensakana, which is a Peruvian a Nikkei restaurant, mm-hmm. and it's Peruvian Japanese. It's on Forty Fourth Street between Fifth and Sixth. Shameless plug. Delicious, delicious food, and. You know, Nobu was really the first restaurant to kind of introduce that. And when he did it, nobody knew. They they didn't put a name on it. And now that Peru has been on the top 50 list, you know, whatever lists everybody looks at. Like, Mm. oh, my God, it's the top 50 list, the Pellegrino list, the this list, you know, Mm. whatever. Um, You know, people wanted to learn more about you know about it, and I remember when we opened up Chicama with Douglas Rodriguez, and we had the first ever ceviche bar. Oh, it was right. an amazing experience. You know, people were just so excited by it, and Nobu really was one of the first people to introduce Nikkei, and nobody really knew what to call it at that time, so he never really got credit for it. So I think that it is a restaurant that should have better stories told. Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. It, it feels like it's... Um, and you yeah. never know who's in that kitchen. You know, this is the interesting thing is that, yes, it's Nobu, but who's in that kitchen now? Right. Right. You know, who's making that food on a nightly basis? The story is in those people. I agree. I mean, that's why Masa, uh, if you talk about sushi, so Bar Masa Masa, Masa was 
at the helm. Right. And I mean, that's very expensive sushi. Yeah, very expensive. And um, that's a classic example. And then he's opened Tetsu down here in Tribeca. Right. And it's struggling. Yeah, I've never been. Yeah, it's... Uh, Not because I happen. You know, it's just hard to find the time to mm-hmm. go everywhere and then have a life of your own where you don't eat. I think it's a, yeah. I think it's a classic <laughs> example of a chef has a name and he just kind of expands and um, kind of loses sight of what it's about. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I say, I, I you know, I, I don't represent him, and I've met him, and um, and I revere him. He's amazing. I've and, met him for really you know, cool guy. Yeah, he's yeah. a and and I and and I believe that there's probably great food in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like Lobster Club. Have you been to Lobster Club? Yeah, the yeah. Thing? So I really had a fun time. Yeah, there. I love Lobster. Club. I thought yeah. it was really yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah. I had, I mean, I thought it was too, too expensive. In all mm-hmm. honesty, but I mm-hmm. said, you know, well, look at where I am. You sure. know, I'm paying for the rent more than I'm paying for the food. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had a really fun time there, and then I was disappointed when they only got a one-star review because I don't think that I think that people you know if people know Pete when they walk when he walks in the door if they see him at all if they have a vision of him then all the fun goes away hmm. you know? Pete Wells yeah the, the, the food right yeah. all the fun goes away right. and then all he's getting is the food and the and the check and he's yeah. not getting the fun. Yeah. And I had a really fun time there. So that's another one I would like to get my hands on. I'd like to have my hands on that whole group, tell you the honest truth. Yes. Okay. All yeah. right. Well, well, anyway, we'll see. Here's something that uh, people listening probably don't know, that uh, when a food critic gets recognized at the door, mm. right? And you, you work for a PR company. So basically it's like the uh, uh, the most wanted poster at the post office. Correct. Like yeah. every restaurant tour that's opening up, the host stand, the managers, they all know what Pete Wells looks like. They know what all the top writers look like. And they're supposed to spot them. That's their job, right? Um, which is kind of crazy because for me, I'm like, I've been part of that scenario where you're like, it's kind of not fair because they're not getting the same experience that uh, someone who's just come in and have a reservation. Um, they're getting extra treatment. Right. And, it's it's only the best piece of fish that that night is coming out of the the low boy and that's uh, uh, the service is in, incredible and it's just a, it's a different but that's the power of the critic although I will say it seems like it's not as powerful as it used to be the running line in the New York Times is when what's Brian Miller oh my God yeah kind of dating myself there. yeah yeah when Brian Miller came in and gave you three stars immediately you put another phone line in your restaurant because I waited on Brian Miller at Arizona two hundred six I did too yeah. It's and I didn't crazy. know who he was. Yes. Yeah. You know? uh, Lorelai. Remember Lorelai? Yeah, sure. So she was the one. She yeah. said, who's waiting on Brian Miller? <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> I'm like, so there was a, a food critic, Gail Green. Does she still write about food? Yeah, she has her. her. So, Gail, yeah. Gail Green. <laughs> She's the exact opposite. So Brian Miller would come in and wear like bad mustaches and, and glasses and try to, and a captain's hat. Like nobody right, would right. know it was Brian Miller. He'd try to hide, have a disguise. A Gail Green would walk in, and she might as well have had trumpet players. She would come with like a jacket with the glitters, like Michael Jackson with epaulets. Yes, and yes, like yes. Just, and like everyone knew, and she expected you to dance when she wanted. Exactly. We, at, at a restaurant, we were at or a Southwest restaurant. I'd like salsa. Well, we don't make salsa. Right. No, no. I want salsa. Uh-huh. They make salsa. I mean, that's a critic yeah. um, wielding their power. Truly, with truly. Just. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny. The first time I ever waited on a critic was Brian Miller, a restaurant I worked in before Arizona 206 called Safari Grill, which was wow. owned by Ed, uh, David Kay, Chinese restaurateur mm. of NTU Yuan fame. fame, fame. And Was that? Was it so? No, on the Upper East Side. This when everything was on the Upper okay, East Side. Sure, yeah. And then um, and Ed Schoenfeld, who owns Red Farm, uh, uh, was my first restaurant boss ever. 
And he said to me, um, that's Brian Miller, and he's sitting at your in your station. He's the restaurant critic for the New York Times, and you're to wait on no other table but him tonight, but you're not supposed to make it seem as if you're waiting on only him. <laughs> and he made me so nervous. And there they taught us to open up wine. Like if you had a white wine, they taught us to open it up in the bucket. I don't really know yeah. why, but they said open it in the bucket. I got so nervous, like I stabbed myself between my thumb and my <laughs> forefinger with like my corkscrew. Right. I bled into their wine bucket, right. you know, and I think they were having like white Zinfandel because white Zinfandel yeah. was very popular. At that yeah, time. yeah, yeah. And um, and that and that was my first like experience in waiting on a restaurant critic, and I sweated it out like, oh my god, if we don't get a good review, I'm going to lose no, my job. But it is it is that kind of craziness, and people do. I mean, critics get exceptional treatment, so it's kind of uh, unfair. Uh, the reviews you have to always, I think, read with a little bit of like a little bit of salt. Like, yeah, you can, I mean, look, you know, it's it, that's why it's look. There, there's anonymous critics, and there and and even if they're even if they oh well, let's not even go there. Like, even yeah. if it's, I always tell everybody, Yelp is a four letter word in the restaurant <laughs> business. Um, yeah. Even, um, but they can't. You can't change the prep. Mm-hmm. You know, you could pull out a better raspberry, right? But you can't change the basics of what's there. And if they walk in the middle and it's in the middle of service, you're going to stop your dining room because a critic is in the in the house? No, you just got to keep going. Sure. And yeah, maybe there's little tricks, maybe. But um, but for the most part, I think that, you know, yeah, except for like little touches here and there, like the chef sticking his finger in their food more than once. Yeah. You know, they pretty much get the real deal. Yeah. The work, the work, the work is done at this point. The work Critics is done at the table. Yeah. Like, there's no magic. There's no, yeah, I mean, the work is done. Yeah. But there is exceptional treatment. Let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's tables. There, you know, there's choice tables, and you know, there's other things. But you know, that's why if they they don't make a reservation in their own name, hmm. right. you know, so yeah. that they can kind of like, and then you're there and you know, kind of watch the scramble, so to speak. Uh, have you ever tasted a chef's food and been blown away? Like, oh my God, this guy's going to be a star. Zach Palaccio. Huh. When I first, um, a couple of a couple of times. Well, that, first of all, Shin, fat, fatty, fatty. When we did, when we first opened Five Ninth, I said okay. this is one of the most fearless cooks I've ever hmm. met. And I had known him before, and but I never really tasted his food. And when he, when when I, when he did the fatty crab food, even at Five Ninth, when he did, and it's long closed, but when hmm. he did the five the fatty crab food there, hmm. I thought to myself, this is stuff that I've never tasted before. Wow. And that was a pretty um, that was a pretty exciting moment. Yeah. I was Be- like that with Wiley Dufresne. Oh yeah, that was in, yeah same thing. I went yeah. to his uh, seventy one Clinton. I was yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Tried stuff like I've never even thought about this. I mean, look, you know, when uh, one of my Katie Sparks, who's one of my dearest friends, Quilties, which was mm-hmm. the restaurant that made her famous, was one of my first clients, and I ate food there that I still can taste to this day. Yeah, you know, and that I still reference and that I still talk about, and not just because she was my one of my first clients, mm-hmm. but because it was that delicious. Yeah, you know, and I watched her evolve as a chef. You know, what happened at Tavern on the Green happened on Tavern on the Green. But I watched her evolve as a chef over the years, and I thought that it was amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the interesting thing. You can see, one of my complaints, if I had to have any complaint about my job, it's that people don't give us enough time mm-hmm. to sure. do the job properly. Because I, and I used to say to people, okay, so let me get this straight. You signed a lease for 15 years, but you only want to do PR for six months? What's going to happen to the other 14 and a half years? Yeah. 
you know? And I get it. It's budget. It's not really knowing. It's, you know, how long is the story going to get told? But, you know, my job is one of the only jobs, well, maybe not, but that we never get a raise. Hmm. We always, like, we kind of always get go down in fee. You know, we never get a raise. We never go up. Nobody ever says to me, oh, my God, we got so much business because of that piece of press. Here's an extra, (laughs) you know. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. Here's a little token. Matter of fact, they probably call you and go, hey, Stephen, thanks, uh, but we don't really need you anymore because we're cooking. Well, that happened yeah, to me. At, of course. That happened yeah. to me at Brooklyn Fair. Yeah. I represented Brooklyn Fair, and I'm sorry, I'll go on the record with yeah. it. Yeah. I represented Brooklyn Fair. I filled that place up with journalists mm-hmm. every night when it was still on, sure. you know, in Brooklyn. Oh, when yep. it was still yep. on Brooklyn. Yeah. And, um, and I filled that place up with journalists every night. I used to schlep wine bottles from the liquor store down the block because they didn't have a liquor license. And I filled the place up. They got a shitload of press. They became so busy. They said to me, oh, we don't need you anymore. It took me two years, but I got paid for those motherfuckers. I'm sorry. And it's so funny because in, you know journalists yeah. don't forget and people don't forget. So sometimes people over the years would still say to me, hey, are you still representing Brooklyn Fair? Can you come be in touch with those people? I'd be like, they're the worst people in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and I seriously, if, yeah. I, if, I, if I, I swear to you, if I if I've said that about five people in the twenty something years I've been in business, that's a lot. Sure, you know. But there are some people that just deserve it. Mm-hmm. Any chef you still madly in love with his food, and you love, like you're just happy as hell to go in there. David um, Boulay. Yeah, Boulay's an amazing David chef. David Boulay. You know, I was in there a couple of weeks ago, and I could eat that Malibu sea urchin that he makes. <laughs> I could eat that, you know, porcini mushroom flan with dashi yeah. that he makes. I could eat. I could bathe in it. Yeah. So, so is he he's, has a pop up now, right? Is that? It's not really a pop up. I mean, it's, it's a full scale restaurant, but it's a counter restaurant okay, right. where he's always experimenting and doing and new things. So it's on Twenty First between Fifth right. and Sixth. That's right. It's real. I mean, it used to be right here, but right. you know, right here in Tribeca. But his food, he, you know, there are certain people that have a magical touch. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Laurent Gras, do you know him? Laurent sure. Gras, the yeah. chef? Okay. Yeah. So he once stayed at our house out, out east mm-hmm. and um, with his lovely wife, Jennifer, and he cooked broccoli stems for us and for myself and Alan, my boyfriend. And then, um, and then and when he left, I was like, I'm going to cook those broccoli stems. And, and we tasted them. We were like... Just not like what Laurent tasted, you know what I mean? It's like I thought that I followed him exactly, you know, and I did everything that he did, but those broccoli stems just did not taste the same. And that's boule. It doesn't matter. It could be just a plain piece of fish sitting on a plate. Yeah. But the way he touches it, yeah. I like Mark Mark Forgione's food kills me. Oh yeah, Forge. Yeah. I haven't eaten there in a really long time. Uh, it's, it's it's so brilliant. Uh, I'm going to get him on the show. and We're going to talk about it. Yeah, but yeah. Then you know his dad's Larry Forgione. Yeah, of so course. It's kind uh, of fun restaurant history. Fun to, yeah, uh, historical. Um, and uh, what's going to happen in the New York restaurant scene? I think Continue that restaurant. To, you know, it's interesting because I think that restaurants are going to are, are obviously getting smaller, and I think that we're discovering more cuisines. I mm-hmm. mean, we're living in an age right now which is really interesting about culture and about how everybody wants to understand other people's cultures. And I think that we're going to see a lot of chefs come out of the woodwork who never really thought they had a place before, which mm-hmm. I think is really exciting. And I think that we're going to get some really exciting food. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Like you said, Korean food has exploded. 
I'm looking um, forward to some African food because the flavors are so interesting, and mm-hmm. we don't have a lot of that. So I'm really, you know, there have been ple- people that have touched on it. Marcus Samuelson tried to do it once. Sure. You know, um, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to more regional food in the in the cuisines that we know. Like when people talk about Japanese food, they think about yakitori or tempura or sushi or sashimi or soba or ramen or right. you know whatever. But they don't think about the regional food of a specific area mm-hmm. and. Japanese food is just as regional as Italian food. And when you think that people say, oh, this is Roman or this is Tuscan or this is Piedmonte or this is, you know. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm looking forward to the fact that we're going to be able to explore cultures a little bit more. I'm looking forward to just trying more and more food. I love it all. Well, Um, you have a good opportunity to um, tell people how to pair wine with foods that they don't know. That's true. Because it's funny when I go out for Indian food, the wines that people bring are really interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's kind of my my fun job. I have a guy who's doing a pop-up two. He has two pop-up sushi restaurants coming to the office on Wednesday. Oh, nice. And I'm going to pair some natural wine with it because I'm going to blow them away because natural wine has a certain kind of umami that those uh, uh-huh. a lot of that food has. And uh, so that's my that's my busy day on uh, Wednesday. Cool. Um, well, so we found that big buttery Chardonnays work with some Indian food really well when we did a tasting oh, and I mean, some of the spices and mm-hmm. the buttery. You know, you th- never thought there was a place for like oaky buttery Chardonnays, mm-hmm. but um, but we found that there was. Like know, fried chicken, some of the Indian fried food. chicken and big buttery oaky Chardonnays yeah. brilliantly. <laughs> um, so I, we're not going to leave without you giving us a couple of restaurants that we need to hit. Uh, spe- specifically talking to different cultural stuff. Uh-huh. Um, um, what are your couple favorites? Um, well, you know, going back in the Japanese vein, I, I love Japanese curry. So, you know, Japanese I love curry. curry-ya. I go and sit at that counter and just, like, sort of devour it because okay. it's not – it's just it's just delicious. Mm-hmm. And then uh, – uh, and, and soba-ya is another restaurant that I, I just love to go to and hang out. And it's mm-hmm. just like a big bowl of soba. And mm-hmm. it's healthy and it just makes you feel good and it's very cleansing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that. I still go to um, – you know, I whenever I was telling you before that I live – you know, on park and maybe I shouldn't say I don't know. I live on park <laughs> in Flatiron, quote okay. unquote. And um, and whenever I finish an event, I go to the Express and I sit in the corner of the bar at the Express and I have they have they he does a delicious chicken and they do a list a delicious salmon dish which is with a really perfectly crispy skin and some rice pilaf. They do a great simple. job and yeah. it's simple and it's too. delicious. So you know, so I go there a, a lot. I, I sit at the, the bar at Barbunya because you know more as a friend and. It's, Again, it's in my neighborhood, so um, I kind of love doing that. Um, you know, I, I agree about Pinch. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that we really wanted for Pinch was it to become known as a great restaurant that happened to be Chinese instead of a Chinese restaurant. Sure. And I think that we accomplished yep. that. The dumplings which was, are fantastic. Yeah, which yeah. was really, really nice. So, mm-hmm. yeah, those are my, you know, go-to places. So if people wanted to hire you, talk to you, uh, get recommendations, uh, how are they going to get a hold of Stephen Hall? Stephen at HallPR.com. Stephen with a Stephen with a V, like Stephen Liza with, with a Z, v. but Stephen with a V. <laughs> Stephen with a V. Remember that. Kander and Eb wrote it that way. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to thank you for being on the show. Thanks for thank the restaurant you for tips. Having me, yes. Uh, people do listen to this. Just I have people email me like name some more restaurants I can eat in New York City. Uh, we have so much more to talk about, but uh, it's closing time. Ah, sir, that's what happens. But uh, thanks, thanks a lot for being on the podcast, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check us out at dotjpodcast.com. Until then, I'll see you at the bar. Bye.